This is KMTT. And today the Shur in Pashat HaShavua, which will be given this year, Emir Hashem, Tavshin Ayin Aleph, by Harav Alex Israel. Shalom, this is Alex Israel in Alon Shvut. Um, and this week we're going to talk about uh, Parashat Lech Lecha. Of course, the Parsha begins um, with Lech Lecha. Vayom Hashem al-Avram, Lech Lecha, go, go for yourself. And Avram does precisely that. He leaves Mesopotamia and he makes his way to Eretz Kena'an. However, um, when he arrives at his designated land, uh, he doesn't seem to settle down at all. He seems to remain in a perpetual state of transit, constantly moving from place to place. If you if you follow through the course of the parsha, uh, you will see that Avram um, goes from one place to the next, um, place after place. We start off with Vayom Hashem al Avram lech lecha. Then already in Pasuk Vav, Avram Ad Mekom Shechem, Ad Elon More. So, the first place Avram comes to is Shechem. Already in Pasuk Chet, Vayatek Mishamahara, Mikedem, Levet El, Vayet Oholo. He is now in, somewhere in the vicinity of Bet El, Bet El Miyam, Vahai Mikedem, somewhere between Bet El and I. Um, and there he builds a Mizbeach. But that's Pasuk Chet. Pasuk Tet. Vayisa Avram Haloch V'nasoah Hanegba. Avram travels down south. Whether you follow Rashi, that this is moving to Yerushalayim, or whether you follow other Mufarshim, that he actually goes down to uh, the area of Beersheva, um, the Gerar vicinity. He's on the move again. Then the famine hits, and off he goes to Egypt. He comes back, comes back to Bet El, and uh, there is the fight with Lot. Um, but no sooner as he finished the fight with Lot, um, what happens? God appears to him and says, "Kum hitalech ba'aretz, arise, walk around the land, la'orka ulorachba, kilecha etnena, walk its length, walk its uh, width." Because I have given it to you. And uh, Avram's response to that, Avram at this point was in Bethel at the end of chapter 13, is, He then goes to Elone Mamre, which is Chevron. And it would appear that there he remains for the rest of the Parsha. Um, we can sense this because uh, we know famous next week um, in Parsha Vayera. Vayera Hashem Elav Be'elone Mamre V'hu Yoshev Petach O'el Kachomayom He's still in Elone Mamre um, I'm not going to go into all of the details but let's simply say that later he moves to Be'er Sheva that we see uh, further along in Parsha Vayera and um, we all know that Sarah dies in Hebron so he's constantly uh, on the move whether it's Shechem, Bet'el, Egypt back to Bet'el um Chevron and then and then Beersheva. Um he also goes down to Avimelech I forgot about that to Gerar Avram's moving Lech Lecha 
he never stops he never never arrives he arrives and he keeps on moving uh, what, what is this? Um, is this some sort of plan? God says Kum did God want him to be constantly moving? so I would like to uh, present this week certain theories um, certain theories which try and address this problem I'm going to begin uh, by quoting a passage from Eliezer Berkowitz's book Rav Eliezer Berkowitz's book uh, Faith After the Holocaust and he has a very particular view of Avraham which I've always found uh, quite fascinating uh, let me try, let me read a section of this book, it's on page uh, 122, 123 of Faith After the Holocaust by uh, Rav Eliezer Berkowitz and this is how he says, how he describes uh, uh, Avraham's sojourning um, he says this usually exile is understood as a sequence an abnormal phase following upon a normal one Galut the specifically Jewish form of exile is rather different it does not follow it is at the beginning Jewish history begins with God's words to Avraham get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house to the land that I will show thee the history of Judaism commences with Galut if exile is at the very start then there must be something in the nature of Judaism in God's plan for the Jewish people which is inseparable from it Avraham in order to become the patriarch of Israel had to leave his father's house and the land of his birth he embraced his destiny in a world which was alien to him to his faith, to his values, to his truth he went into exile because in the world as it existed then Avraham could not find a home he had the choice either to be true to himself and become a wanderer or to become one with his surroundings and remain at home he chose himself his personal destiny but in order to that he had to go into exile what is the significance of Galut as a starting point? one might generalize and say there are certain ideals that are not easily absorbed by the order of the world there are certain values that are repulsed by the laws of power history ideas and values that are strangers among man and of tragic necessity forced into exile such a stranger in history is the idea represented by the Jewish people in the history of mankind as Abraham did not fit into the local world of his birthplace so do his children not fit into the universal world of the nations to the extent that it is dominated by the materialistic self-interest and the ambitions of power uh, this is Rob Berkowitz's uh, perspective that Avraham um, Avraham doesn't settle down because he cannot settle down settling down is a, is a sense of accommodation to the given order of things and Avraham cannot accept the order of the world as he sees it in the, it, 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 as he sees it in the places that he visits uh, let, let's think about Avraham Avraham grows up in, in, in Mesopotamia we see in our parsha how he visits Egypt he visits the two major centres of civilization, the New York, London and Paris of his time and he is unimpressed um, the story begins with him leaving Or Kastim and he's planning to leave even before God had appeared to him Midrashim suggests that he couldn't tolerate the regime, the government 
that was around in Mesopotamia at the time. In Egypt he fares no better, and no sooner that he arrives, he is, he is very soon ejected. The Midrashim say that Mesopotamia was the seat of idolatry, and all the Midrashim which deal with Avraham finding God and fighting with Nimrod, see Avraham as unwilling to accept the idolatry of Mesopotamia. Um, Egypt, in our parsha, is a place of Giloi Arayot. Avraham simply doesn't fit in and he remains a wanderer. No, no surprise that at the end of the parsha, uh, when Avram is promised the land, God says to him in Bereshit Perek Yudzayim Pasukhet, V'natati lecha et eretz megurecha, the land of your sojourning. Um, at the end of his life, when he needs to bury Sarah, Ger v'toshav anuchim Avram is a ger, he is a stranger, he is an outsider. He is somebody who does not live within society. Um, it is true about Canaan as well if he rejects Mesopotamia if he rejects Egypt the big civilizations he also rejects any association with Canaan and the clearest example of this is the way that at the end of his life when he is looking for a wife for Yitzchak he tells his servant um, that under no conditions is Yitzhak going to be allowed to marry a Canaanite woman um, under, under, under all circumstances Yitzhak must avoid marital ties with the local Canaanites so if we want to try and represent our first theory that we're going to propose today um, I, would, I would say it like this uh, Avram keeps on moving because Avram cannot settle down uh, settling down is coming to terms with the given environment. Sometimes um, young uh, people, teenagers, uh, people in their 20s, look at people in their 40s and 50s and look at them as middle-aged. And part of being middle-aged is the idea of accommodating oneself to a community, to an environment, to a city. And as probably all of you, all of us, realize, uh, these places are not perfect, but we end up compromising. Abraham cannot compromise. Abraham is an idealist. Abraham will not settle in a place if it represents ideas and ideals uh, which are contrary and antithetical to his world view um, which are at odds with the values that he, he believes in. So Avraham is constant according to this theory, theory number one that we're going to deal with, Avraham is constantly moving um, because he doesn't want to be anywhere. He won't compromise. So that's approach number one. Let's think of a different approach, and uh, in order to understand this approach, I would like to uh, quote a few Rashi's about the places which Abraham visits. Uh, Abraham starts off by coming into the land, and the first place he comes to is Shechem. And uh, what does um, what are we told by Rashi about Shechem? We all know that Yaakov's sons are going to fight some generation hence in Shechem um, and he went to Shechem particularly to Daven for them to pray for his, for his descendants. Um, next, Ad Elon Moreh he comes to Elon Moreh Hu Shechem Hereu Har Grizim Har Eval Avram is being taken on a magical mystery tour of future events. Har Grizim and Har Eval, Sheshan Kiblu Yisrael Alehem Shibuat HaTorah. 
Um, interestingly, Elon Moreh, Moreh may be Milashon Torah. Um, there they would, Am Yisrael would accept the Torah, the references to the ceremony which takes place in Sefer Yehoshua, when the people engage in the Brachot and Klalot um, after their entry into the land. Um, how about some other places? If we look here, um, he goes to um, Beit El. Bain Beit El, Beit El Miyam Vahaimi Kedem. Beit El is in proximity to I. Why mention I? I is a very unusual place to mention. And uh, what is the focus here when we're talking about Beit El Miyam Vahaimi Kedem? What is he focusing on? Rashi tells us that um, he built an altar there at I. Why? To Daven for his descendants who were going to fall in the sin of a Khan um, and therefore he has to pray for them this approach is, is very tantalizing because it, it explains the extensive attention paid to the names of places and it does this in a very novel way from a straightforward narrative perspective we might not pay attention to any of these details and the particular names of, of places um, we might even see them as sort of a distraction to the central plot to the thrust of the story indeed why mention the particular details and the very very precise coordinates of the different places but in Rashi's reading here Avram is a prophet and he is fully connected to future history he prays for his future descendants there is a intra-biblical logic here um, because if you think about the fact that for example I is found only ever, the only places I have ever mentioned in the Tanakh to the rest of my knowledge is in the chapters of Abraham and then in Yehoshua, one wonders why I needs to be mentioned here, especially as it's not exactly the most important thing here uh, the Midrash sees this as a connection point and that somehow the two events are linked Avram is walking around Eretz Yisrael and going from place to place because he has to in some way uh, pray for his future descendants. Now, the Ramban takes this even further, and the Ramban, in his comments to Pasuk Vav in Parakud Bet, uh, develops his theory of Masse Avot Siman Banim. Masse Avot Siman Banim in the world of the Ramban is that is not just that the events of the children are reminiscent of those of the fathers. It's not just uh, the idea that history reflects the past. According to the Ramban, um, the past, the acts of the Avot actually determine the future. And the Ramban develops this theory, we're not going to have time to fully go into Masa Avot Simanabanim, but I would, I would say that for the Ramban, the Ramban takes Rashi a stage further. It's not just that uh, Avraham is praying for his descendants or hoping for certain things for his descendants but Avram is actually going to these places almost as a as, as an act which will predict the outcome of uh, his offspring uh, his, uh, his nation which comes after him that Avram has to actually tread the way because he is an Av because he is a progenitor he is the archetype he is the antecedent. Avram has to do things so that his children will be able to do things. 
In other words, these places are critical. These places are critical for the future in the world of the Rambam. Rashi is a little softer. That's our second theory we're going to uh, relate to, and I'd like to analyse this in a second. Um, I'm going to analyse that this together with with a third theory. Theory number three. Um, and if you want to look into this theory, you will find it on the Pasuk, which you find at the end of Perak Yud Gimel, where Hashem turns around to Avram and says, um, Walk around the land to its length and to its breadth, breadth because I will give it to you. Um, the, the Midrash has a fascinating comment here. Kum and he says, uh, the Midrash says, Tani, Halach basadeh be'in l'orka be'in l'orachba kana ad makom shehalach k'divrei Rabbi Eliezer. The Midrash quotes a statement of Rabbi Eliezer which says that in order for a person to gain ownership of a field, one needs to walk through it. How does one, one buys a field? When is the moment that the contract happens? Is it when one plows the field? Is it when one signs the contract? When the money is moved in the bank? In, in halakha we have a principle of chazakah or mishikha we have different ways in which um, different items can be have their ownership transferred but uh, Rabbi Eliezer here is relating to the fact that if you walk through a field with the intention of owning it just the act of walking to its length and breadth means that you, you, you take possession of the entire area which you have transcribed by your walking and this is the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer who says hiluch kana, um, and the chachamim onim lo kana achi alech lo orakal orachba. The you need to walk around it completely. Amar of Yaakov ben Zavti to Amid Rabelezer kum italech baaretz. This connects to kum italech baaretz, and uh, the Ramban picks up on this, and he says that the reason why Avram has to be constantly walking around the land is in order that he will make a chazaka, he will take ownership of the land. Um, as the rabbis say, says Ramban, Yerusha hi lahem So theory, theory number two was that Avram was walking to specific places and uh, going to see them in order that he would uh, be able to pray for his descendants, theory number three is that Avram is constantly in transit because he wants to cover every every inch, every every foot, every yard of the Averet Israel, and uh, he needs to really possess the land by by walking it. Now, by the way, let me just as an aside here um, say that there is something very very powerful to this. Um, it is not for nothing that the um, enterprise of the Tzionut stressed so much the idea of Tiulim, the idea of uh, hikes in the land of Israel. And uh, certainly to my mind, there is no doubt that when one uh, walks around the land, when one hikes around Israel, one feels a sense of ownership, one feels that one has got to know intimately the different uh, hills and valleys, the scenery as one sees different places from different vantage points, as one sweats, as one goes up the mountain and uh, revels in the in the springs that one comes to and the, the, the fascinating and breathtaking landscapes, one 
develops a, a very very intimate and, and, and deep connection to the land and this isn't just semantics or, or legal uh, some sort of legal uh, terminology here Kumbi Talech Baaretz actually really does make a kinyan it makes a very very deep connection with the land now theory number two and three are all very nice but I've got to say that uh, there is a problem with them um, and the problem is this I, 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 we're suggesting that Avram somehow is traveling the land as a prophet understanding that he is putting everything right for his children or alternatively theory number three Avram is busy going around the land and he is um, managing to gain ownership of the land so that his future generations will in some way have the title deeds to Eretz Israel. However, I have to say that I believe that this is somehow at odds with uh, the Parsha. Uh, what do I mean by this? The whole storyline of our Parsha, I think, goes in exactly the opposite direction. Let me try and explain. The Parsha opens with Avram being told to go to an unnamed land. And no sooner as he got to the land, I mean, even sorry, before he's even got to the land, uh, God makes him all sorts of promises. He tells him that if he goes to the land, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. You will be famous. Etc, etc. The minute he gets to the land, um... God appears to him and says, "Lazaracha And this is a constant refrain throughout the parasha. To your seed I will give the land. The notion of the bracha of Zerah, that you will have children. Um, and the, the second blessing is that you will have the land. However, this is a very problematic promise. And I would argue that actually the parasha raises many, many questions about this promise. Let me explain. Even when he comes into the land, Avram came into the land. The land is already occupied by somebody else. And uh, let's add that no sooner has Avram got to the land, there is a ra'av ba'aretz. There is a famine, and he has to leave. He comes back, and there is not enough land. He has to fight with his nephew about their grazing rights. And it says very clearly at that time, The Canaanites and the Prizites now are dwelling in the land. In other words, there is no room. In the next chapter, chapter 14, we see that this is a place of battles, of wars, of international conflict. Uh, kings from Mesopotamia are going through the land, are occupying it, are subjugating its inhabitants. In other words... If we thought that there was, Avram is promised the land, but everything in the Parsha leads us to question this promise of the land. The second thing he's promised is Zerah, his children. And of course, everything in the Parsha also goes to question and to undermine the promise of Zerah. Let's recall, he comes to the land and he doesn't have children. Even before he comes to the land, it says, the Sarai Akara Ein La Valan. Two phrases. She's Akara. She's Akara. Of course she doesn't have Valad. Of course she doesn't have children. No, it's driving it home. She doesn't have children. 
She has no way to have children. Chazals go so far as to say she was born without a womb. In other words, it's totally against her nature to have children. If we want to take it further, he goes down to Egypt and his wife is taken from him. In the next story, one might imagine that his Zera might be some surrogate, Zera might be some surrogate family. Lot, his only relative, his only male relative, leaves him, abandons him. And then we have the whole episode of Hagar, which threatens to displace Sarah. Everything in this parsha raises questions about whether the bracha and the promise, these dazzling promises which God gives Abraham of Eretz and Zerah, whether they will really come true. In fact, Abraham voices his doubts and turns around in the beginning of Perek Tetvav, chapter 15, and he turns around and he says, What are you going to do? I don't, how are you going to fulfill these promises? They're, they're wonderful promises, but I don't have any children. And God reassures him and shows him the stars. And then in the next um, in the next passage, which we call the Brit Ben Habitarim, God has to reassure him that he will indeed give him the land, upgrading his promises from merely a, a vocal promise to a full-scale covenant. It would appear that after the birth of Ishmael, God has to reaffirm the bracha of Zerah and the bracha of Aretz, that it will come through Sarah and through Yitzchak, rather than through Hagar and Ishmael. The whole parsha raises questions about whether this promise will be fulfilled at all, whether this promise is realistic, whether these um, statements of Lazar HaEtenet Aretz Azot are mere fantasy rather than reality. And therefore, when Rashi turns around and says that Avram is walking around bolt sure absolutely sure that his children will come to the land and they will fight here and receive the Torah there and they will and I need to give them assistance really? it seems to go against the spirit of the whole parasha the sense that Avraham is, is, is progressing just on the basis of his faith, on the basis of a promise um, rather than on the basis of assurances and I say that similarly to the next explanation which we gave, the explanation of Chazakah, the explanation that Avram is travelling through the land in order to gain possession of the land. Uh, was he so sure? Was he so sure that he could gain possession of this land which was so full of other nations, the Kenani and the Prizi and Kedor Oma Melech Elam and Tidal Melech Goyim of all other nations who were travelling through the land um, I find it difficult to uh, understand that Avram would have been um, traversing the land, with a cognizant awareness that this land was going to be his. Again, maybe he trusted God. He believed in God. But could he really walk through the land as somebody who's just purchased a field and has to do a circuit of the field in order to formally gain ownership? Maybe. The Ramban says it. It is based on the Midrash, and yet it seems to go against the thrust of the Parsha. Um, I would like to try and develop a, a fourth direction when we're coming to these particular places. And here I would like to relate um, to the individual places that we're going to deal with. And we're going to talk about Bethel and, and, and Hebron. And uh, you'll have to develop other places for, your, for yourselves. Uh, talking about uh, Gurar and uh, Be'er Sheva.
Um, each place seems to have a particular character, and it is here that I would like to, to focus. Avram comes into the lands in the first, he initially comes to Shechem, but then quickly moves on to a, a place which is described as um, which is described as Mikedem le Betel. They are take me Shamahara, he goes up into the hills to the east of Betel, Vayetoholo, and he pitches his tent. Betel Miyam Vahai Mikedem. We're being told that um, Betel is in the west and the I is in the east. And it says, Vayivan Shamizbeach Lashem, he makes an altar to God. Now he's already done that in Shechem, but here something is added. In Shechem, Vayivan Shamizbeach Lashem, Hani Re'elav. But here, Vayivan Shamizbeach Lashem, Vayikra B'Shem Hashem. What is Vayikra B'Shem Hashem? What exactly does it does it indicate? The Ibn Ezra um, <coughs> gives two options. Ibn Ezra says, option one, tefillah. He's simply praying. <coughs> but option two, says the Ibn Ezra, is Kriyat Panei Adam La'avod Hashem. That Avraham was calling people to God's service. And this is amplified by the school of the Radak and the Ramban. I'll, I'll read a few comments of the, of the Radak. Uh, the Radak says the following. He says, um, they came to Betel, he built a Mizbeach, and there he called down in God's name. He called the people of that vicinity, of that mountain, he showed them things that they could understand. Because to the same God, he built a Mizbeach. In other words, he tried to convince them that this God to whom he had built a, an altar was worthwhile worshipping rather than the idols that they worshipped. And he says, he continues and says, He converted many people to his faith. And he says, How do we know that? It says, The Radak notices that here in Perakubet, it comes to Bet El, and it says, But he returns to Bet El in Perakubet Gimel, and in Perakubet Gimel it says, he comes back to the Makom Amizbeach Asher Sachsham Berishona. Comes back, Perak Yud Gimel Pasuk Dalad, to the Mizbeach, to the altar that he made originally. Vayikrasham Avram B'Shem Hashem. Bet El is the place where Avraham calls out in God's name. It would appear, according to this, and, and, and the Ramban says a similar thing, that Avram was interested in influencing the locals. I wonder whether Bet El had actually a history. I mean, the name Bet El is, is, is rather evocative. Um, maybe before it was a place of Avodah Zarah in particular, and he discerned some sort of window of opportunity among the local tribes. He wanted to create a religious center to spread the knowledge of God, and he seemed to invite, if you can rely on the on the Radak, invited the local inhabitants to come and learn and hear about his monotheism. Um, maybe this can explain the emphasis of the text that Avram pitched his tent in a particular location between two cities. Between Beit El and I, Avram was creating a new center, a, a magnet for thirsty souls, a place for people to come and learn about monotheism. His tent 
was the Bet Midrash, was the was the outreach centre. He deliberately pitched his tent between the towns to appear to, to appeal to the wider audience, maybe even to be out of the urban centres so that he wouldn't stir up local animosities. Um, and what I'm suggesting here is is, is a famous idea of about Abraham. Um, if you recall in the opening lines of the parasha, it says, Et nefesh Rashi already comments that Avram would be, in, in, uh, that they came with a whole entourage from Mesopotamia, that Avram would convert the men, Sarah convert the women. Here's a, here's a different uh, explanation here, uh, which appears at the beginning of Lech Lecha. Um, why does Avram have to travel? So, Rabberechi Patach, Rabberechi says, Shmanecha Tovim. It is like a sweet-smelling shemen, a sweet-smelling oil. That shemen turak shemecha, what's it like? It's like a flask of perfume. That when the flask of perfume is sitting on the shelf, you cannot smell it. But once you start shaking it up, its smell uh, wafts forth. Kachamar HaKadosh Baruch Avinu. This is what God said to Avraham. The sweet smell of Avraham, his religion, his faith, needed to be spread from place to place. The first place Avraham goes to seems Bet-El. Again, I, I can speculate that this Bet-El area was a place which already had religious inclinations, and maybe Avraham came to present an alternative to the local pagan religion. However, just as interesting, or even maybe even more interesting, is where he goes next, and that is Hebron. Uh, why, why, why do I find Hebron so interesting? Well, I'll explain why. When he comes to Hebron, he goes to a particular place. It's called Elonei Mamre. And uh, what happens? Who? What is Elonei Mamre? The Oaks of Mamre. Well, we're actually told about this Mamre in Perakud Dalad. Um, in Perakud Dalad. Uh, we know that Avram goes to war. And fascinatingly, the people who come to war with him are three people. Um, Aner, Eshkol, or Mamre. Now this is what it says here. Avram, who does he go to war with? Vayarek et chanichav yilidei beito. He takes his chanichav. Now chanichav is from the language we know today as chinuch, yilidei beito, those who were born in his household. Shemona Asar Shloshmeot. There are 318 people who were born in Avram's household. Now, what is this household? Well, let me explain. In the previous Pasuk, Perak Yudala Pasuk Gimel, it says that the Palit, the refugee, came and told Avraham that his nephew had been captured. He is living in the Elone, maybe the forest or the wood. Of Mamreha Emory, Achiashke, Eshkol, Achi Aner. Apparently, Mamre, Eshkol, and Aner are all brothers. And listen to the next phrase. Vehem Baale, Vrit Avram. They are part of the covenant of Abraham. What is this covenant of Abraham? Um, interestingly, later on, when Avraham. Um, performs Brit Mina. It says, V'chol anshei beito yilid bait. All the men of his household um, um, 
who were yelid by it, who were born in his household, hold, he has slaves who all circumcise, but also anshe beito, yelid by it. We remember that we have 318 yelid beito. What is this group? What is this group we find in Mamre? Um, or Rav Mamre? Who are these Chanichim? From all this information, it sounds like Avram has a following joined by some sort of covenant. He is some sort of guru. He has a group of associates, disciples, a, a commune. Maybe it is not surprising then that we meet a few parashiot hence, the people of Hebron, and they address Avraham as Nasi Elohim Atab You are a prince of God in our midst. How did they know there was he, he was a prince of God? How did they know him so well? It's very simple. Because they saw that huge collective of people. It must have been quite a gathering. If there were 318 children, one can imagine a whole a similar number of adults. Wow, this is a lot of people on the outskirts of Hebron who are forming a group a Brit Avram, who are all uh, collectively involved with monotheism, and we're not quite sure what else. We know that they also were part of the Brit Milah Pact. Also not surprising that in Perak Yudalat, after, after, after Avraham has fought his battles, after Avraham has fought his battles, a king comes to meet him. Malkitzedek Melech Shalem, if he does have such a large group, of people living together in Hebron, I am sure a king who is a Kohen, a priest to the high God, like Malkitzelech, Jerusalem is not that far, Shalem is Jerusalem, Jerusalem is not that far from Hebron, he would have heard of this leader, this leader Avraham, and would be interested in meeting him, and hence, once he has finished his battle, Malkitzelech comes to meet him. This is what we have in Hebron, and this is quite an impressive uh, reality that we're describing here. So we've had Betel, and we've had Hebron. Avraham moves on. And where does he move? We're told uh, after the Sodom episode that he moves Artsa Negev. He moves Artsa HaNegev, Vayeshev ben Kadeshu ben Shor, Vayagar Bigrar. He is in the area of Grar, the land of the Pilishtim. And uh, it is there at the end of that account, after he is recognized uh, in his own right, by Avimelech, who makes a peace pact with him. Um, it says there, Vayita Eshel Beber Sheva. He plants some sort of tree, or maybe a forest in Beer Sheva. It is unclear what it is. Vayikrasham B'Shem Hashem Kel Olam. And there he calls out in the name of God. Um, again, what exactly is this Eshel? How does it function? All of this is, is, is pretty unclear. Um, Rashi says, and Rashi tells us, um, that one of the opinions at least is a pundak, an inn, so that people can come and uh, stay there. And he says, After they eat and drink, he says to them, Why don't you praise he who you ate from? Do you think you ate of me? Do you think you ate something that I provided for you? No. Who did you eat from? Misha Amar, Vahayaha Olam, the creator of the world. I don't know whether that is the pshat of what this Eshel is in Beersheva, but it says he planted something in Beersheva, Vayikrasham B'Shem Hashem Kel Olam, and there he called down in God's name. Once again, we see 
Avraham developing a religious center, a base from which, a platform from which he can call out God's name. And if we see him moving first to Bethel and then to Hebron and now to Be'er Sheva and in each place, calling out in God's name, building altars, gathering people around, we can be sure that Avram has a reason to move around. Avram has a reason to move around because he wants to spread the name of God amongst the local tribe. He is hoping to, um, to convert people. We all remember one of the first Rashi's in the parsha, Parashat Lech Lecha, where it says, Ve'etanefesh Haran. The souls he made in Haran. And the question is, who are these souls that he has made? Some people say, some of the Farshim say that we're talking about people who he had bought, he had acquired as slaves. But Rashi is more famous. Avraham Megayer et Anashim, Sarah Megayer et Anashim. That even in Haran, before they made Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael, they were already engaged in spreading the word of God. So Avram is moving from place to place because he intends to publicize God's name, uh, the act of Kiddush Hashem, trying to win people over to a monotheistic perspective. In our Shia this week, we presented three approaches. The first said that Avram had to move because he couldn't exist within the um, degenerate values of society that he found there. Of course, these are societies which are pagan through and through. These are societies where when you come to a new place, they take your wife. These are not nice societies. Avram couldn't stay in these societies and therefore he's constantly a wanderer moving from place to place. And this could be true. None of these theories are mutually exclusive. A second dimension was, and we rejected this dimension, was the notion that Avraham somehow was treading the path before his children, and even though we rejected this in the framework of Avram's existential consciousness, I would say that there is no doubt that historically, as we look back over history, we certainly gain some sort of uh, warmth, we certainly gain some sort of understanding of Avram as an Av, Avram as a forebear, when we think about the fact that Avram did visit these places, Bethel and Hebron and Haramoriah, and all of these places resonate with a far deeper depth and meaning, because we know that Abraham was there. And our final theory um, is that Abraham moved around because he was actively involved in spreading God's name. He wanted to call out in God's name so that he would spread the word of God and hopefully convert people to belief in Hashem. So that is Abraham. Wishing you all a Shabbat Shalom.